the man God blesses. Throughout the Bible too, but uh, Psalm 1, I'm guessing that there's a number of people in this room that have Psalm 1 memorized. But Psalm 1, right? The man that, or the woman that avoids sin, avoids going the way that the world is going, but sets his heart on God and His Word, and sets his heart on obeying that, he's, he's blessed, right? He's blessed. It's a blessing. How about Psalm 23? Is it a blessing to be a sheep to the Lord our shepherd? Is it a blessing to be led by God and directed by Him? Yes. Psalm 91. There's a, a blessing in being a child of God. There's a, a safety. There's a divine protection because it's war out there. But God fights for us. Today I want to turn our, our focus to uh, Psalm 73, though. That's where we're going to be today. Written by Asaph, uh, a song leader in the temple. Sometimes those choir boys have something to say as God inspires their hearts. We'll talk about the blessings of God, but uh, this is in a, in a little bit different way uh, than some of those other psalms that I've referred to. The blessings of God. But the subject that leads us into this, the man who God blessed is, well, why do the wicked prosper? Why does it look like sometimes that they're getting away with it and even becoming better off for doing wrong? Why do the wicked prosper? Why don't we have a word of prayer and we're going we're gonna to dive in here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for allowing us to gather together in your name. It is a, a privilege. It's an honor. We're thankful, God, that that we can do this. God, uh, just break this bread of life. Open this word uh, to our hearts. God, help me to, to proclaim this word. And Lord, let this word fall on good soil and produce a harvest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why do the wicked prosper? You know, 73, if you flip that around, Psalm 37, David broaches, King David broaches this subject too, but he, but he kind of does it in a different way. He's just saying, hey, don't worry about it. They're going, to be, they're going to be cut down and cut off. Just don't worry about it. It's all good. And, and it's as if, have you ever given advice to a friend that was struggling with something? And you said, hey, just trust God. It's going to all be okay. And that was true advice, but maybe there were some times for you yourself, in your quiet moments, you might ask, well, is it going to be okay? Are we going to make it? Actually, a good friend is one that, uh, that, that knows your song well enough that they can sing it back to you when you forget the words. But there's a different tone in, in 37 where, where, where King David is saying, hey, just hang in there. It's just a matter of time before it all, it all gets worked out. The, the, the righteous will be exalted. The wicked will be cut down. No worries. It's a little different tone, though, in Psalm 73. And you can see that it's a, a, a tough question for Asaph. And, and there's an honesty and there's a rawness in this psalm. And I, I've, I've come to love some of these psalms. I made a stupid comment when I was a young man, actually in Bible college. I told my professor, I don't like the psalms. It's too much fluff. Give me Romans. Give me that hard theology. And talk about having to eat your words later on. Man, the psalms are awesome. And they're raw. And they're real. And they're honest. Why do the righteous suffer? Why? You know, in the, this first verse, he draws the conclusion of the whole, the whole question. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are, as are pure in heart. God is, in a sense, good to all people, right? 
the godly and the wicked, and, and, and there's not a place in this earth. Maybe you've gone to certain towns or certain areas or even certain places and, and felt, felt a heaviness, a darkness. There's places I can think of like that, but even none of those places are truly God-forsaken. There's only one place anywhere that's truly God-forsaken, and what's that? Right. But, but no place on this earth is truly God-forsaken. There's health. There's sometimes long life. The, the sun shines on places both good and evil. You know, it's even the grace of God that, that, that there isn't a huge majority of people on this earth demon-possessed. That's a grace of God because God's common grace, He, he restrains evil. I had my privilege of taking my wife to the coast this weekend, and, and it, was, it was stormy, a lot of rain, a lot of wind which isn't so bad when you're in a nice cozy room looking out the window. But Saturday morning, it cleared up. It cleared up. The sun came out for a little while Saturday morning. And I was out there. I was kind of just looking at the waves. It's kind of mesmerizing and uh, meditating. And all these people are walking up and down the coast. And I just had this thought. Some of these people enjoying this ocean, enjoying this sunshine, don't even believe God exists. They don't even believe in God. The creator of all this, yet he's so good, and he allows them to enjoy it. He, enjo- he allows them the joy of, of relationship. Some of them are holding the hand of their, their spouse. He allows them to enjoy having, having children. He allows them to enjoy uh, tasty food, to, to enjoy looking at the mountains and, and, and seeing just that shine they have when the sun hits in the snow. And it's, God's still good to those that hate him and fail to give him glory. But God is especially good to those who are pure in heart. And it's a, it's a permanent goodness. It's not a goodness that will end at death. You see these, these pleasures and the goodness that the wicked get to enjoy in this, gla- in this life because of common grace, they end at death. But the pleasures and the joys and the privileges of a child of God carry on forever and ever. Verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's saying, I, I, I almost came to that cliff of doubt and unbelief. And, and, and why? Well, my, my steps almost slipped as I saw how well things were going for the wicked. It made me crazy. You know, for, for a season, it can appear that there's prosperity in doing wrong. Habakkuk, the, almost the entire book deals with this same subject. Jeremiah 12, the same, the same question, the same subject. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do evil men seem to be getting away with it? Why did nice guys finish last? Has there been books written about that? Why? Asaph was honest and he felt jealousy. And in his honesty, he even writes a sense of, of, of why bother being good? Why bother doing godly? His problem was that this time in, in his life, and thank God for his honesty in this, he was looking at people. He was looking at people, and who was he not looking at? Yeah, we wasn't looking at the Lord, and I want to tell you, when our eyes are on other people and not on God, that is a great recipe for getting things out of whack. He goes on, verse 4, for... There are no pangs in their death, and their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covered them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. 
They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. And you look at the theme of that and, and sometimes to our eyes when we, we look at, at people living wrong, that they seem to have an easy life and, and sometimes a long life. You look at Fidel Castro, right? He seemed to have this long life and a peaceful death. George Soros, he's still alive. Man, that man funds every evil and wicked thing he can think of. Made his money crashing currencies. Think Hollywood stars, crooked politicians. On the, on the surface and through fleshly eyes, it looks like they are better off living like this. It looks like they won. About closer to home. Most of us aren't Hollywood stars or big-time politicians or, or investors, at least big-time investors. Does it seem sometimes maybe at your workplace, the guy who, who schemes and angles and, and takes credit for all the good things and passes off the fault for all the bad things. Does it seem like sometimes that person seems to get ahead for doing all the wrong things? And, and it's, it's possible for us, even as believers, to look at this and say, maybe I should compromise. Why even try? Hey, they're getting ahead by doing all this, despite all their wrongdoing. They're healthy. They're getting ahead. They mock all the ways of God. They boast. How does it happen? Verse 10, back to the question. Therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. Why? Why does this happen? It can get discouraging. Verse 11, and they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Does God really know what's going on? And when we start saying, does God really know what's going on? If we're not careful, this doubt can creep in that says, well, Maybe there's not really a God. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it's this impersonal God that doesn't care about the affairs of men. Verse 12, more descriptions. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease and increase in riches. Verse 13, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. There he is again. These, this right stuff that I did, I, it was all in vain. I washed my hands in innocence for all day long. I have been plagued. And chastened every morning. Again, I'm laying this on, but he's feeling this way. I was stupid to live by the rules. Why live upright? Why live godly? Why tell the truth? Why give God the first place if, I, if it doesn't benefit me? problem with this whole question is, it's the essence of selfishness. What do I get out of it? Listen to this statement. A Christian that looks at life with a question, what do I get out of it? hasn't understood what Christ came to save us from. I want to say that again. A Christian that looks at life with the question, what do I get out of it? Hasn't understood what Christ came to save us from. Salvation from sin, but also salvation from selfishness and being self-centered. Christ didn't just come to save us from pornography and alcoholism and lying and, and cheating and all that. Vice take us to heaven. No, he came to save us from ourselves and making ourselves the center of the universe. We were made for God. We were created to be centered in him. He came to save us from ourselves. God created Adam to be centered on him, right? Look at the garden, Adam and Eve. They were to be centered in God. They were to go to God to find out what was good and what was wrong. And 
And when they decided to, to seek their pleasures apart from Him, it led them to a dangerous path in the rejection of, of God's law and, and God being the center Death came, and in Adam's fall, some of you know this, we sinned all. We sinned all. We all have that poison. We all have inherited it, that sickness. We're born with it, the sickness of selfishness, making our well-being the most important thing in life. And let me tell you this, very few Christians will verbally express that. But man, it's easy to think that way. And it's easy to forget it's all about God and slide into that way of thinking thinking that this thing is all about what is best for me. The carnal man, even the carnal Christian, asked the question, what do I get out of it? The godly man, the spiritual man, asked the question, what does God get out of me? There's two types of Christian. One who goes to God to get something, forgiveness, healing, help from financial troubles, family problems, peace of mind, But I want to tell you, the wonderful thing is, if you go to God for those selfish reasons, He receives you anyways. He's good. He loves you, and He wants you so much, and He cares about you that He wants to extend grace to you, even if you came to Him from a selfish motive. That's the kind of God He is. Think about the prodigal son. Remember that story in the Bible? He wanted his inheritance. He he wanted to be the center of his life. He didn't want to follow the Father's way. He goes out into the world and he he squanders his inheritance. You've read that story. What brought brought the son back to the Father? Yeah, I'm hungry. (laughs) Hanging out with these pigs isn't so great. He came back because he was hungry and desolate. The Father still received him. The Father still received him. Even when you and I are totally selfish, when we go to God, when we want God, He still receives us. He's good. We may be selfish, but you know what? He isn't. God's not selfish. When you have nothing to offer Him, He still offers Himself to us. But wouldn't it be sad if the prodigal son only remained at the father's house because of a good meal? Wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't that be sad if he only stayed there because he calculated, you know what, I get nice clothes, I get, I get three square meals, I don't have to live with those hogs. Wouldn't it be sad if that was the only thing that keeps the son staying in the father's house? You know, it's also sad is when a Christian stays in the place his whole Christian life, what do I get out of it? What do I get out of it? You know, it's natural for a baby, you know, I think of, my daughter, I think of other babies here, you know, they kind of only know pain and pleasure, and they're drawn by that, and we, we're, we're, it's kind of natural for, for a, a baby to be a little selfish, but we hope that they grow out of that. We hope they do, right? And that's actually some people that don't, it's pretty bad, right? God wants us to grow past that, not always be a baby, because you know, a, a baby that, that bases his relationship with God is what are the things the Lord's providing me in this life? What are the things I'm getting out of it? You know, that, that baby and that baby Christian will always be plagued by doubts. And that baby will always be on a shaky ground because when, when things don't go right in the way that they think, they'll start to think, maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe something's wrong. Friends, question for you. Has the Lord promised us an easy life if we follow him? <laughs> Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous says in the New Testament, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus 
will suffer persecution. Compromisers, not so much. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, oh, if they would have just bowed down, you know, for a moment, uh, they could have avoided that fiery furnace. You know, in, in the days uh, of the Roman Empire, they were, they were okay with you keeping any religion you want, as long as once a year you offered a pinch of, Caesar, a pinch of incense to Caesar and said, Caesar is Lord. As long as you did that once a year, you could go ahead and worship the deity of your choice. You know, if you were a compromiser Christian that just said, okay, I'll just say this, but I'm not going to mean it, and I'll have a pinch of incense. In fact, maybe I'll just look like I'm going down all the way, but not actually touch my knee. You might not suffer much persecution, but I'll tell you what, an uncompromising Christian in any age, in some way, it'll, it'll take on different forms in different generations, but all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but what's the second part of that? The Lord delivereth him out of them all. Not less problems, maybe more problems, but also more deliverance, more seeing the mighty hand of God, more seeing God work, more seeing God provide in a miraculous way. After feeding the 5,000, Jesus compelled his disciples to get on a boat and go across the sea. If they would have stayed on shore, there wouldn't have been problems. But they got in the boat, they went in the sea, and they experienced a storm, but they also got to experience the deliverance of God. More problems, but also more deliverance. And more experiencing his mighty hand. I want to tell you all something Christians get that's different from the world? More discipline. More discipline. God disciplines his children. Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. You can violate your conscience with no consequence. Watch out. Be afraid, because God disciplines those he loves. We've got some um, neighbor kids nearby. Not Lynn Lund and his family, not those kids. He's my, one of my neighbors from our church, but we've got other neighbor kids um, that do some things that are pretty ornery. I don't worry about disciplining them. Why? They're not mine. They're not mine. They're not mine. The mark of God's love is his discipline. And God's not a sadist enjoying bringing pain, but God is a loving father knowing that if I discipline my sons and daughters, I will help produce a harvest of righteousness. I'm going to bring them to a good place. Revelation 3.19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So in a sense, a baby Christian says, I, I know God loves me because He died for me, and, and, and I get eternal life one day. And that's wonderful. A baby says that, but a, a mature believer, in addition to that, says, I know God loves me because He disciplines me. He chastens me. He gives me a spanking when I get off track, when I do wrong. He has quite a toolbox, but He's creating us for eternity. And there's some things that we have to learn no other way but through His discipline. A child of God has troubles, some because of his sin, some just to see the glory of God, but it's all God-ordained because of the Father's great love toward us, a love that is taking us somewhere beyond what we can understand. Verse 15, if I had said, I, speak, I will speak thus, 
Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Listen to this. This is a thought on that. Asaph is saying, I had these doubts. Remember, he's given us a raw story of this struggle that he'd had. And he said, look, I, I had these doubts, but I didn't run off my mouth. Parents, be careful. Be careful even in times of discouragement that you just don't run off your mouth and say a bunch of stupid stuff in front of your kids. I'm serious. Go to a, ma- a mature believer. It's okay to share with a mature believer, your pastor, your elders, others that you know, and, and, and share your concerns and have them pray you through. But don't burn down the house. Don't burn out down the house because your feelings haven't worked out yet. Don't run off your mouth. And, and, and it's okay to have this conflict and it's okay to have this doubt, but, but faith goes beyond feelings. Faith goes beyond reason. And sometimes we have to believe that this is true first and understand later and have the humility to admit that God is God and I don't have to have everything explained to me exactly before I do what's right. God wants to take us to that place. Follow Asaph. Don't let your feelings lead you. Let faith leave you. And understand this too, that our, our mental capacity is limited. Think of your mental capacity as a cup, right? Some of you guys are big gulps in here. Some of us are communion cups in here, right? I'm probably in between. But I want to tell you the wisdom of God is like that ocean. Nobody can contain all that. It goes far beyond. God's wisdom cannot be contained. We have to let God be God. Verse 16, he says, you know, I, I, this question is starting to give me a headache. This is tough was overwhelming, but verse 17, this is where we're getting into the meat of it, until I came into the sanctuary of God. Only one place you begin to get answers, and sometimes it's not an answer in the sense of a, of a, of a you know, this specific question, this, but sometimes it's just the answer of the glory of God kind of overwhelming the question itself. He came to the sanctuary of God in the, in the presence of God. His perspective changed when he became a worshiper. And he stopped looking at Joe Blow over here and, and this gal over here and, and this thing here. And he, and he said, God, I, I just started looking at God and started worshiping Him. And, and like that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. And this gets clear and all this stuff gets dim. Praise God. When he went there, the picture became clear. God's ways are not our ways. When we look at people, we get turned around. But when we look to God, it makes sense. He saw verse 18 and 19, he he started to see that that this life was a test. And he began to see that the wicked are on, on slippery ground. It's just a matter of time until they slip into destruction. But Asaph realized that he was on a rock. And trials that God ordains for us produce character in us in a way that can come no other way. God may ordain trouble in your life, but keep your faith on the rock of Him. Verse 20, verse 20, as a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. You know, I, 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 this mindset came to me, and it's funny that um, one of the Volbergs referred to this in the singing time, that of get, getting re-centered, and kind of the lights turning on, in a sense, again, when we come here. Uh, this, this life is kind of a fantasy life sometimes. It feels like a dream, a blur. And, and one of the wonderful things about coming to church and just worshiping God is that 
it, it's like things get set right. The things for they really are. And, and, and he says in 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed into my mind. I was foolish and ignorant. I, I was like a beast before you. And, and he says, man, I, I was foolish. I acted like a beast. And what's a beast but an animal? And how many animals do you know that think about eternity? Right? Animals don't think about eternity. They think about food, sleep, sex, territory, comfort, the herd, offspring. That's it. But, but Asaph got his head screwed on right when he came to church, when he started worshiping God. And, and we should come to God's presence daily, but at the, at the very least, you better, you better mark it down to come here every week just to get your head screwed on right. And I needed to. In the sanctuary, he realized, I'm with God. You've been holding my hand the whole way. I have you. You guided me to truth and will one day lead me to glory. Verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. You get this sense, what was I thinking? (laughs) The most important thing to have in this life is God. If you have God, you have everything. If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. Who in heaven but thee? I'll tell you again, if our vision of eternity in heaven, okay, eternity with God, if it's all about physical pleasures, okay, that guy in a tunic and he's being fanned and eating grapes, and if it's all about physical pleasures, I want to tell you, you might be disappointed. That's not what, I mean, there's certainly going to be pleasures, but um, that's more of a Muslim image of, of their version of heaven. The Christian concept of heaven, Jesus will be there. I'll be in the presence of God in fullness. The Christian concept, the mature Christian says, it's, you know, it's not about these streets of gold. It's not about all that. I'm going to be with my Lord. I'm not going to have all these things that sometimes come between and cloud the relationship. I get to be with him. Kind of reminds me of when I was at a wedding, uh, one of the Corwin kids um, here not long ago, and um, you could see the look on the bride's face. It was beautiful. This look that says, I just want to be with you. I don't care where we go. I don't care if it's a great house or a shack. I just want to be with you. As long as I have you, it's all good. I tell you, a man, a, a woman who comes to a place like verse 25, that you could say, who do I have in heaven but you? Where we could really say, God, you are, like that song says, you're all I want. I'm not in this. I'm not in this for all these things you do for me in this life. I'm not in this for healing or financial blessing or fixing this or that and everything else. I'm, not, I'm in it for you. I want you. I'll tell you, a man who's come to that place Man, his faith is on a strong place. And, and there's nothing that can happen in this world that can shake him. Because his, his faith is, is grounded in Christ himself. This is true discipleship. This is true discipleship. And God wants to bring us to a place of true discipleship. And he might, in his love for you, strip away some of those comforts and pleasures and joys and ease. He may strip that away from you and me for a season or longer to take us to a place where we get to experience Him as our everything. I'll tell you, some of you in here know what I'm talking about. I remember hearing from my grandmother. This is a few years back. Um, She became a widow at a very young age. I was talking to her about it. You know, she was just grandma to me for years. 
But she made this statement, you know, I really never got to know the Lord personally until after my husband died. I heard people talk about how great he was, but through that hardship, I came to know that that was really real. And I actually experienced him that for myself. True discipleship. Uh, I'll just wrap it up with this. Are you weak-hearted today? Well, you're in good company. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it's good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Amen. Amen. Do you have the Lord today? Do you have him? Yeah. I'll tell you what, you are blessed. You are blessed. Amen. Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you, Lord, for your word. I want to thank you that God, you and your wisdom, your Holy Spirit, you compelled Asaph to to write this down. God, a guy just like us, um, who is human and had the same temptations and fears and desires, but uh, God, a man that that came to know that, that he had you. And if he had you, he had everything. God, I pray uh, for us, Lord. I pray for your people. God, I thank you for the fact that you've drawn so many people here and drawn people to a, a church that values your word. God, take us. Take us as a congregation. Take us individually to the place that we want nothing besides you. God, make us mature believers, disciples of Christ. God, that we could declare your works and your ways in this evil and corrupt generation. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.